When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! What kind of goal is the most still-had-work-to-do goal possible? The Americans might have found a snappier term for a goalkeeper spilling a low cross. Charlie Eccleshare's insane Premier League years memory goes beyond parody. Finally, something people say was cheered like a goal actually was cheered like a goal. Ambient household noise and the phantom Drury effect. And Richard Keyes undressing himself on the shop floor of a Berkshire menswear store, 1994. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 260 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me on the adjudication panel today, first of all, Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? It's going very well. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Alongside you, David Walker. How are things? All good. You? Excellent. Yeah. Um, Charlie, um, we might as well tap into your actual bread and butter expertise for once. Uh, Arna Slot mm. to Tottenham. What what language are we using here? Pole position or closing in? Which is which is more advanced? Yeah, I literally had to have this uh, conversation this morning when deciding what wording we could use for the situation it's at. Um, I think they're slightly different. Pole position, obviously, is specific to him. It means he is now the number one. But you can have someone in pole position, but you're not even close to closing in on. It's also interesting that closing in and close are two very different things. Closing in is not as close as close. Yeah, closing in is the process of getting close. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And pole position is a relative term. It's it's how likely they are to be appointed compared to somebody else. But is but the club is irrelevant to it, to an extent. To an extent, I mean, it might be their choice, but it doesn't reflect the negotiation status, Dave. Closing in has a sense of of, of movement and momentum and and liveness to the situation, whereas pole position could be it's quite, it's quite static, be locked in it? pole position for for a set period of time. Yeah. Yeah, closing in, Charlie, is talks ongoing, isn't it? You'd have to assume there are developments happening in yeah. real time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it speaks to a certain level of progress. Okay, pole position it is then. Let's kick off the adjudication panel with a little callback from Ali Milliam. He says, following on from last Tuesday's discussion on what the threshold is for keeping an eye out for a team, I studied Renaissance history as part of my degree whilst at university, for my sins. The unit focused almost entirely on Renaissance Florence and the Medici family who were de facto rulers of the city in that period. The Medici family crest has since been adopted as the city's emblem and is so synonymous with the city that it also forms part of the Fiorentina club badge. I decided I would then keep an eye out for Fiorentina, proceeded to buy their 1617 home shirt from Amazon and convinced my girlfriend that we should get tickets to their away match against Bologna when we were holidaying there last December. Dave... A lot of substance there. Yeah, I mean that's very that's a very high brow reason for keeping an eye out for a team, but also quite tenuous as well. You but can I see like the it. Yeah, you can see the journey he's been on though, Charlie. Yeah. Like, definitely. And I think that imagine there are quite a few people, not necessarily for such highbrow reasons, but because of like football Italia when we were growing up, I think there are probably quite a few people that keep an eye on a team that they decided they quite like the kit of or the yeah. sponsor of or whatever it was. Went to an Anglo-Italian cup game at Meadow Lane or something. There'll be Fiorentina fan casuals who love that Nintendo kit, that Mm. iconic Nintendo kit. And so keep an eye on the team for that reason. That's a good shout, actually. I think teams who play in relatively unusual colours, of which purple, I think, qualifies. Mm. Or violet. And um, allied with wacky sponsors, or at least evocative sponsors, definitely taps into the keeping an eye out for them-ness. Like that. Here's a great question to kick us off to lubricate our 
football linguistic brain. Sam Jacobs writes in China and says, During the Man City-Real Madrid game, the commentator said that Bernardo Silva had work to do when he scored his header from four yards. What sort of goals are the most work to do? <laughs> I've got one in my head. I want to see if it tallies with your instincts. Great question. He's still got plenty of work to do. I think it might be something like you round the goalkeeper. 100%. And, yeah, and you're at a tight angle still. So it's even though it's an open goal in inverted commas, there's still work to be done. The thing about that one, Dave, I, I think that is the archetypal he's still got work to do. Well, he still had work to do there. But really, it's still just a finish. Like, it's still one act. I mean, the phrase implies that there are multiple tasks to be done before the goal could become a, a reality. I think it's more speaking to the... to the. You might think this is easy, but take mm. from me, I know this is actually more difficult than it seems. It's a difficult chance, actually. Bouncing mm. up. The subtext is basically it's harder than it looks. Right. When you're saying you've still got work to do. Yeah. Because I think, that, yeah, that's the one it's... Again, it's you could say it's an open goal because the keeper's not there, but there are a couple of defenders on the line. There are bodies all over the place. Mm. On that basis, then Charlie, which I think I think I think is watertight, um, there must be a kind of range limit for work to doy goals. Like you couldn't have a work to do goal outside of the penalty area unless the goalkeeper had been hopelessly committed and you still had to finish. Maybe there was work to do there, but if any other kind of goal wouldn't count surely I think that's right you might be you might have work to do still if you were just outside the box and then there's a there are two defenders on the line somehow and they're kind of advancing <laughs> towards you and you, you know those finishes and you've just got to pick your spot and be quite yeah. nervous about it knowing if I put it in the right place there's nothing they can do but there mm. are there are sort of obstacles between me yeah. and the goal it's important it's important context then Dave I mean there's a certain snidiness to it it is essentially the expert telling the layman that you know this isn't as easy as it looks as we've already established so it's quite an important little thing to say can be quite versatile as you say it's, sometimes it's about the open goalness mm. of it sometimes it's about as you say like bounce maybe a bouncing ball or that you know like a header like we saw for Bernardo Silva sometimes it's about an angle yeah of a of the goal it was um Maybe this doesn't qualify. Maybe this is borderline. But like, say the goal that Kevin De Bruyne has scored against Arsenal at the Emirates this season, when from the back pass, and he's finished it sort of first time mm. quickly. Oh didn't yeah, he? Um, actually, he yeah. made it look easy, but it was probably quite difficult to do that. I remember a lot of talk about that goal, Charlie, saying you know, a lot of people were praising the finish, and a lot of people saying, "Well, it was just an open goal," but it was an incredibly good finish into an open goal, which I think helped. Yeah, I, I had a discussion with my brother about that goal I thought it was an amazing finish yeah and he was his view was like it's good but where the goalkeeper is it's one of those where because the goalkeeper comes out it does sort of tell him exactly what he needs to do I know what you mean which makes yeah. it a little bit easier put your instep through it it's probably going to go in yeah but it just looks there's, more impressive there's quite an obvious route to goal somehow yeah but it might it might fit that he's still got work to do. I, I don't think it's a gilt edge I don't think no. it needs to be said yeah. in a way like it's not yeah. good enough chance to, to meet that threshold yeah I agree I agree and, and final point on this Dave it's purely a solo situation is it there, there's never work to do between players to get a goal scored in these scenarios right it's purely a player's own work to do for them to finish the goal yeah I don't think you would ha you would say it if the person initially presented with the chance squared it to a teammate it does instinctively feel to me like a very Andy Gray thing I can I can imagine him saying it a lot back mm. in the old days yeah definitely this is not easy still work to do um likewise for us let's move on and Dave one for you actually this from came from Jack Painter um, here's LA Galaxy's former Watford goalkeeper Jonathan Bond oh yeah spilling a low cross into the path of <laughs> Mateusz Klick to make it 3-0 for DC United and here they come for more DC United with Dahomey square pass in at the six it's left on a doorstep and Klick from inside the six yard box makes it three for DC Dave, I'm well aware of the, you know, the ongoing friction between US and UK English when it comes to football. But there are some kind of organic phrases that pop up in American sport that really do fit the situation. And I think they've done a really good job here. I think it's lovely. It doesn't, I don't think it's too jarring. I don't think it's too showy. I think it explains exactly what's happened. What would be the closest UK equivalent or existing equivalent would be what, on a plate, I guess? It's on a plate, yeah. Yeah. And I actually think left it on a doorstep is... is Better. It's a more. It feels like a more up to date one. So have they? What is, have like they locked down deliveries? <laughs> yeah. Is is yeah? She's been left on the doorstep. Who's leaving it on the doorstep? Has the person not answered their door, thus leaving the 
package at risk well, of being stolen. No, well, in this instance, I think because the goalkeeper spills a low it. cross. Yes, spills a low cross. Him. Yeah. So I think you're almost, it's for the burglar almost. Like, oh, we left this thing on our doorstep. 100%. And the burglar just came and pinched it. It's like, you've made yeah. his life easy. Like you could do in the old days. You could leave stuff on your doorstep and no one would steal it. And now they do. Now they do. Did you know that Jonathan Bond was playing for LA Galaxy, Dave? I did, actually. Wow. Yeah. Um, to me. Yeah, and he's carved out a nice little little gig for himself there, actually. He was, he was a very run-of-the-mill goalkeeper for us, mm. but yeah, fair play. Right at the ultra-business end of the season now, Charlie, uh, to the point where some people are letting their hair down, the fancy dress gets we're almost, rolled out. We're almost beyond the business end of the season in some respects, aren't we? Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of business has been completed. Post-business. This does feel like sort of 22nd of December where you go into an office and it's like, mm. we're, we're all winding down, there's not a lot. <laughs> Still happening, really. Anybody in? No, not really. Yeah. Really, it wasn't really, it's anybody really in. quiet, actually. Really quiet. No one turned up. Yeah, so as I say, fancy dress being rolled out left, right, and centre. Um, a platoon of Leeds fans went to the London Stadium on Sunday dressed as nuns. And um, this is how commentators for broadcasters <laughs> either side of the pond declared it. How much chance have they got of staying up? Next to none. That's not quite as bad as that at the moment. Yeah, but they will feel that they do need a little bit of divine intervention. Maybe it's time for divine intervention. The Elland Road Sisterhood are here. <laughs> I th- Charlie, I think divine intervention is the number one. It's like on Family Fortunes, it would be the number one mm. answer for where religion intersects with football in a conversational manner. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, I, that was really good. I, I like that. He just the second one is just seems complete as if he, the first one hasn't been said. It's just <laughs> like I'll, I'll just go again, Dave. I will also offer you at number two on a wing and a prayer, which I feel you, you hear less because I guess it's got to be about a winger, hasn't it? I suppose, yeah. yeah. Particularly religious winger. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the Ellen Road sisterhood. That was yeah. a nice little twist on the Ellen Road faithful, uh, even in, be... although they are not at Ellen Road, of course. No, so, that's true. Yeah. That could have been an entry in our very unthreatening sounding hooligan firms uh, segment, which <laughs> died something of a yeah. death a few weeks ago. Yeah. I've got to say, though, I mean, we we're just talking about post-business end. Get crack out the fancy dress if you're safe in mid-table, by all means, but not in a crunch encounter down at the London Stadium where you need a win. Gallows humour, though, isn't it? Well, it's, well, I suppose so. Yeah, it's not just any old fancy dress. They have specifically gone for the divine intervention. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. Hope. It's, it's the hope that kills you. Yeah. Post-business, but pre-gallows. What a very narrow window that was to operate in, indeed. Right, straightforward one for you now, Charlie. Um, Newcastle-Brighton on Thursday night. The Mirror's football Twitter account tweeted, Goal! Newcastle's early dominance pays off as Undav heads home Trippier's corner. Can you head home an own goal? No. Although, interestingly, in some sports, isn't an own goal called a home goal? Ah. I've heard this said, and it may have been someone just... Someone once said this. They described known goal as a home goal. I didn't interrogate it. I mean, obviously it sounded ludicrous, but I was which, like... Which sport would that be? I don't I, know. I assume maybe an American sport. Maybe this person was just getting it completely wrong. I mean, it sort of makes goal. sense in that it's your home. But well, in a footballing sense, I don't think you can head... You can't head home no. an own goal. Doesn't appear to be a thing. Definitely. But, I mean, there is some there is some history here between these two concepts because home sounds very much like own and that came to a head during world cup 2010 dave when wayne rooney looked at the camera and no one to this day knows whether he says nice to see your home fans booing you or, nice to see your own fans booing you <laughs> nobody knows <laughs> <laughs> that must be own i always thought that was own <laughs> i mean it would make more sense wouldn't it i'm yeah. going 60 65 percent own 35% home. But you Otherwise, know. you'd have to say, nice to see the travelling faithful booing you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up now. Wayne Rooney booing you. Uh, let's have actually have a listen. Let's just, let's just you know, get this once and for all. Camera. Uh, let's uh, listen one more time. Nice to see your home fans booing you. <laughs> oh, it's home. A clearly enunciated home. Wow. Man. Yeah, there's definitely an H at the start. Yeah. Implies that he thought they were booing at home. On the t- to their TV on the TV probably were <laughs> or is it that English arrogance again the home of football he, he sees England fans as home fans in the 
in a global sense. <laughs> were we te- were we technically the home team in that game? Ah, uh, maybe the administrative <laughs> home team. Yeah, yeah. Possibly. well, yeah, because we would have yeah, we the, the, the home dressing room. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, traveling faithful has killed me there. By the way, that was excellent. Right. Um, next up is Harold. Dave. He says I was at the Sheffield Wednesday playoff game the other night and was struck with a dilemma that needs sorting. When it appears that a goalkeeper has handled the ball outside the box, is the correct call from the crowd that's out or handball? Personally, I'd always go for that's out, but I was struck by so many hooligans around me opting for handball. <laughs> I mean, one takes precedence over the other, I would say. I'd say that being outside of your area is the ultimate, is the primary thing that's gone wrong there. Handball kind of comes after it, not chronologically, but, you know, hierarchically. Well, it's technically correct. For a goalkeeper, it, it is handball. handball but no, I, handball, I, I don't think I would shout handball in that situation. No. I think I might even just go for like, ref, it's a red card. He's well, off. You, you bring <laughs> on the justice system even I think further. I would, yeah. That's but I think, I think it depends on the circumstance because there'll be times when a goalkeeper is miles out and you're not pointing out the fact he's out of the box. You're pointing out the fact that that's a handball. He's handballed that. Whereas yeah. there'll be times when it's borderline whether what you're appealing for is yeah. the fact he's like, that's out the area. 90% so, of the these area. situations are borderline inside or outside. So... Your instinct, Charlie, surely to point out to the referee that it was outside. I mean, so you, I think I would simply shout outside. That's outside. That's outside. So the one you're describing, Charlie, is like Nick Pope earlier this exactly. season. That's he was exactly miles out, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Wasn't even wasn't even arguable, was it? Yeah. But you're right, so, Adam. Most of them are when the momentum has taken the goalkeeper outside or they just misjudged it or or, or whatever. Shouting handball is mad, though. Yeah, you would go me. out. Yeah. Michael yeah. Oakes for uh, Aston Villa in... Uh, December 98, the one that prompted John Gregory to say, the referee has made a monumental error. That's the sort of archetype for me. That is astonishing. Astonishing memory, by the way. Um, More on that later. Right. um, (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. I'm in tears about this. Genuinely welling up at what's just happened. No, anyway... um, Next up, more goalkeeper shenanigans. This came from many, many listeners. This was the BT Sport commentary for the rather fortuitous goal that won the FA Trophy for FC Halifax Town against Gateshead. A triumph for persistence for Jamie Cook and an awful moment for James Montgomery in goal. It took too long to clear his lines and now he has an egg all over his shirt. <laughs> 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 I don't know what's happened there, Dave. I've got no idea. Egg all over his shirt. <laughs> oh, you've got egg on your shirt. Look what it's you've done. A, yeah. Not as bad as having egg on your face. Well, I guess it's just it's it's dripped better, down. It's better to have egg on your face because you can wipe it off. A shirt, you're fucked. Well, I suppose so. Especially if you're out. More humiliating to have egg on the face. Yeah. <laughs> you can sort of disguise the, the egg yes. on the shirt. Yeah. Egg on your shirt. Oh, but I'm imagining that it's been on the face, dripped down onto his shirt rather than going straight onto the shirt. Three eggs on his shirt. <laughs> oh, dear. I don't know how that's happened. I, I mean, I, I, have, I, I don't think it needs defending. It's not a crime, but I just I can't see the logic on how that's happened at all. <laughs> now, listener Charlie writes in, just been watching the Bournemouth Manchester United game and Casemiro had a shot after 40 minutes. When they did the replay, the commentator on B in Sports referred to Casemiro as the big Brazilian. Something didn't feel quite right about this. When does a player get the prefix big attached to their name? Is it players of a certain level of quality, players of a certain playing style or players in a certain position? I checked and Casemiro is six foot one. So while he's not small, he's no Fellaini or Haaland. Maybe they added big because he's broad shoulders and strong in the tackle. Charlie, I think my fundamental issue with this, because I know we've covered big player X before, is that he probably is the first big Brazilian in Premier League history. You know, to be said out loud. Have there been, has there been a single other big Brazilian? Carlos Vinicius, big Vinny. Um, yeah, Alex could have been the big Brazilian, the the Chelsea centre back. What about Gilberto Silva? Mm, no, he's more he's more of a Casemiro type, and even leggy, he's more leggy. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, I feel like Casemiro, relatively speaking, anyway, is broader than. than you Gilberto wouldn't say it about was. a goalkeeper, would you? Edison, no. 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 Aurelio Gomez, he wasn't he wasn't particularly big, was my, he? Right, you're very my, big man. Yeah. My implied rationale here is that it's not that there haven't been six foot plus Brazilians in the Premier League. It's just that being Brazilian doesn't tend to attract the prefix big. It's usually for other nationalities. I don't know why. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because, yeah. You, yeah, you'd go to other things first, typically. I think Casemiro, though, is an interesting one because he, he has a lot of stature about him. Mm. Like a even, chunky guy. Yeah, he's but got, he's also he just got... He's a bit chunky, isn't he? He's a bit stocky. 
He's got mm. he's got a face of a man who's not an athlete. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Mm. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Forward to see him after retirement. Thanks for sending that in. This also dawned on me at the weekend, Dave. Something that co-commentators say a lot during games where they just say they just sense that something or you just get the sense that. What do co-commentators just sense? You just get the sense that they're not quite at it today. I think I think there might have been a few of those yesterday in the opening stages of West Ham against Leeds. Yeah, it, it didn't turn out to be the case, but it, <clears throat> certainly in the early stages of that game, you did get a sense that West Ham were there for the taking. Charlie, I feel like it's more of a fo- foreboding thing as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think it can happen retrospectively as well, though. It's like you just sense. You just sense the tide was starting to turn a little bit, mm. or it might be a player gets a silly red card or is on the. Like you, you just sense he he was a little het up. He he wasn't managing the game, and that's been coming. Uh, yeah, I, th- I feel like it's all about sort of the the flow of a game, the complexion of a game. You ju- you just sense. You just sense they're growing back into this. Like you just sense that the next goal is going to be mm. all if, if they were to one. get it. Yeah, and you, then, you've, then you've got to you've got to outline the other scenario as well, just for the purposes of completism. But you just sense. So, Dave, I think it's for more kind of abstract concepts rather than facts. You yeah. just sense that they've had fifty-five percent of the ball doesn't work. <laughs> no, of course not. I, I remember actually, Adam, to your example, hearing very early on in my footballer's career, something like you just sense this could. It was Tyler who said something like, "You just sense this could be the crux of the afternoon," hmm. and it was one nil, and it was like, if they can get one here, it's game over. What game was that in, Charlie? <laughs> hmm. Honestly, insane situation. <laughs> don't get it. I just honestly don't get it. <laughs> medical, on that it's a medical issue. <laughs> on- <laughs> On that Oaks one, by the way, what it was an unfair red card. He shouldn't have been sent off. I, th- I think the ref admitted it as well. Gregory was right. Justice for Gregory and Oaks. Well, well, yeah, save some chat, please. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right, um, this next came from Thomas Paine. This was Nottingham Forest holding on against Arsenal to preserve their Premier League status. And Kaylor Navas achieves the holy grail of doing something that genuinely is cheered like a goal. Nottingham Forest just giving it everything to cover every single blade of grass. Ben White on the ball now. 40 seconds remaining. Here's Vieira. Vieira brings it in from the left. Challenge on him from Aurier. Referee wants to play an advantage. Jorginho to Erdegaard. Erdegaard outside of the foot finds Saka. White to Partey. Partey lays it back to Saka. Corner of the box. Cross comes into the far post. And Navas comes and claims it with both hands. And an almighty roar emits from all 
all four stands at the city ground. Did that sound like a goal? Any, anyone listening there must have thought, was a goal scored there? No, the goalkeeper just got it in the back post. That is about as close as I think we can physically get to something being cheered like a goal. I'd say it was like 85% there. Charlie, it was close. That was, yeah, that, that, that's a, a, a low-level goal noise for sure. I think what helps it, Dave, is the fact that it's a cross into the box. So it has an element of build-up like a goal would do, like a shot going in. The cross going into Navis's hands essentially has the kind of surrogate build-up for the sound. The only thing it doesn't have is, is that tail. It doesn't have the tail at the end of it, does it? No, but it's, it has a, a, a visceral sense to yeah. it that some things you hear, oh, and they cheered Situation X like it was a goal. You often you often hear that said in situations where fans are ironically cheering for something sometimes, like maybe... Uh, it's like yeah. a tackle normally, isn't it? Or like, like let's say, the, yeah. let's say the, the, the referee was, was not giving them anything all day and in the mm-hmm. 75th minute they finally got a, a free kick and the fans cheered it like it was a goal. But really that's a bit more of like a way way whereas mm. that was a proper guttural cheer it had some real oomph behind it, it yeah. Was, yeah I agree Charlie this is a very good point by Dave the overriding tone Charlie wasn't about satisfaction it wasn't smugness mm. it was genuine yeah. joy that that isolated incident had ticked their box which is about as close as you can get to a goal, really, in that respect. It's great. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of them are. The other thing you might hear is like, well, that's the biggest cheer of the afternoon when <laughs> a hated returning player or something hmm. gets a big tackle on them or falls over or yeah. something like that. But that's but a very different too kind gleeful. of celebration. It's too gleeful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, completely. On a related note, got an email from a guy called Bob Silverrose, which is a great name, over in the States. And... Um, his message went as follows. In our family, we recognise a phenomenon in football we call phantom drury. We watch football on television together most weekends, but if the teams aren't particularly compelling to us, we might leave a match on in the background with lowered volume while we go about our day, only turning our full attention back to the match when the heightened emotion in the voice of the commentator signals that something is happening. Here's the trouble. Sometimes one of us will be in another room and think we've heard an elevated emotional tone coming from the television, so we rush back in to see what has happened, only to find the spectators remain subdued and the commentator has raised no such noise and is in fact still droning on at baseline emotional level, merely calling the names of the players in a sequence of passes. We wanted something to have happened, but it didn't, and that desire for excitement must have betrayed us into thinking something might be there that simply was not. We call this Phantom Drury, or sometimes Phantom Tyler, of course because of its likeness to that sense of a phantom phone vibration in your pocket, or more dramatically, the famous sense of a phantom limb felt by an amputee. Perhaps one of you, your listeners, has experienced something similar. The analogy at the tail end of this, Charlie, is really good. The the have you the phantom phone vibration is totally yes, a thing. It's a it's thing. Yeah, yeah. I have it when I'm cooking, like when there's other stimuli going on. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of a rhyme or reason. Sometimes I think I do have it when I'm expecting. Yeah. A call as well, or expecting yeah. a text or something. So there's a, a psychological element to it. But this is definitely a phenomenon. I've had that many, many times, and you and, and it's amazing how quickly your brain can formulate a scenario in the second between leaving one room and entering another. You're like, oh my God, I bet this is what's happened. This, And then you come in and say, oh no, nothing's really. There are two scenarios that this happens to me, Dave. And they both kind of instruct my rationale for this as well. Again, it happens when I'm cooking. So there's some frying going on, some, some ambient-ish noise going on in my direct vicinity with some in, you know, round the corner, I've got a laptop playing a football game. Or when I'm running a bath, which again is quite crowd noisy. And when you mix the two sounds together, <laughs> a rainy game. your brain really does cheat you into thinking. And it's like 30 years of football watching has come back to basically betray me and, and, and fool me into thinking. Somehow, not from the sound itself, but my brain expecting something to happen. And I hear, I hear, I think, I feel like a goal has been scored. I go in and literally not has not a goal not been scored. It's just random play. It's amazing effect. Yeah, well, I was going to say that I think sometimes this would happen. You know, there are legitimate moments when Jury or whoever it might be would get animated, but it turns mm. out not to be a goal. And, you know, that could that could legitimately, if you are two rooms away and you're doing the cooking or whatever. I've had that. Two I think I was rooms watching, away. All right. I was, I was Grove. <laughs> <laughs> I was, well, you know, not many people's kitchens are right next to their living rooms. No, fine. Um, I, was, um, I was watching Leicester v Liverpool last week, actually, mm. and, and doing exact, that exact thing, cooking some dinner and had it on and I did hear a couple of things that I thought were potentially could be goals or stuff and they turned out not to be at that, at that stage but it is annoying but but I, I I naturally assumed that it was because something had happened and I just heard the volume the increased volume of the commentator mm. whereas you're saying that these things is completely a manifestation of your own thoughts I'm convinced it's true I'm convinced that's the case My, it, it's, it's like Charlie's expectant phone call 
your brain thinks something is happening because you essentially want it to or are worried that it's about to. So I'm, I'm sure that's what it is, Charlie. Yeah, and the other thing as well linked to this is, is crowd noise. Mm. We, you know, we all think we're very good at reading what a crowd noise means. There's also yep. the thing, it doesn't happen so often anymore because we're so, we, no, we normally know from our phones or whatever what a score is of a game, but I used to like turning on... If I turned on a game after like eight minutes, I sort of tr- like you try and hear the noise because sometimes that can tell you there's a very much like there's been an early goal, an early home goal. And I mean, goal for the home team, not an own goal. That's a very distinctive noise. Ditto, you can hear sort of like harm of, yeah, this has been a not, I haven't missed much in this eight minutes. Yeah, It can be very revealing. Yeah, yeah. Great spot from Bob Silverose, and I'm very, very confident that people listening will have experienced this. And I really would love a neurologist to tell me what's going on. Hopefully... Much more easy concept to get our heads around next. Leo Watkins writes in, Charlie, says, Is Brian and Burmo the most... I don't watch him play much, but every time I see him, he always impresses me player currently playing. <laughs> that is such a great category. Regardless of who you're about to name, if anybody, what's the rationale that goes into this? It kind of does exactly what it says on the tin. Mm. Uh, I, I, I mean, clearly it can't be someone who is so heralded and such a big name because... A, that would be obvious, and B, you'd probably see them enough that they wouldn't be good every time. I think there has to be a sense of, like, I'm accepting that he can't be amazing every week because if he was, he'd be scoring more or assisting Mm. more or be more well-known. But he does enough in a select number that he does. Like, Yves Basuma, before he signed for Spurs, he was my in this category right. every time I saw him he looked great well, I, I think Inbermo is he, he's he's in the sweet spot because he, he plays for a perfect team for this Brentford are the sort of team that you're not going to pay much attention to other than when they uh, as they have done this season beat a big team they beat Manchester United Manchester City and Tottenham there might even be a few others in there whatever and he isn't even the, he's not even the most notable player for Brentford yeah. which is which is Ivan he's not Tony. the main man but he is arguably just as good as him really Mm. I'm sure Brentford fans would might might tell us that. He's a good attacking player, but he's not an outstanding like I don't think anyone's gonna buy him from the top four. Yeah. He's right at that perfect level. So you think he's perfectly pitched. But mm. um but Charlie, the cynical side of me makes me think this phenomenon is is it's informed by sort of peripheral chat that you see. Like someone might have read a line here and there about Burma being Brentford's secret weapon or something like that and, mm. and then that's lodged in their head and then they, that kind of confirmation bias or whatever mm. confirmation bias is one of those phrases you throw out where you think you know what it means but you just hope that it lands doesn't matter the second thing is and I'm sure I've got this one right it's more recency bias now I'll give you another example of this when um, uh, a game's going on and say around the hour mark or something um, a player does something specifically good in the middle of the pitch like it'll be a great piece of skill or a great tackle and then you'll see a flood of tweets perhaps saying our player X has had a brilliant game today and it's purely triggered by that and mm. he might have had a good game today but somehow that's got him over the threshold by doing that one single thing and I'm sure this is the same principle just going to say it's exactly that it's a threshold yeah the, there have probably been pe- people waiting to sort of draw that conclusion about player and then that pushes them over the edge yeah I think Dave's really on something as well with the they have to be good in big games and I think that's something with Basuma as well he was he often you know people talk about like TV form they have to have a degree of that so that when they turn it you know when they're on televised matches they play disproportionately well they play well against the biggest you know for whatever reason their game suits playing against the biggest teams I just think the bar's quite low for this Dave I'll tell you what I think my example of this from the last few years might be Chaglas Soyuncu of Leicester. All I've all I would have needed to do to, is to see him on telly twice and watch him have two sort of sturdy portions of defensive play. Not even games across the 90 minutes. Just just be good in a space of a couple of minutes twice in two games and that's enough for me to go I think I think he could play for a top four side this guy <laughs> he's a proper defender oh because he's got big hair it just kind of helps well it helped he's rubbish now yeah that is slightly different to the original premise though isn't really? it really okay because your the original question original statement was whenever I I don't see this guy often but whenever I do he really impresses me well this is it those two things are the, enough that's it I would then declare it from then on okay yeah which is not I, enough empirically is it no but I, I do think I sort of think, well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe Leicester are just about in that bracket now. They've sort of regressed a bit, haven't they? I do think I do think the level of the team matters. I think is yeah. a good one mm. for Brighton because, like you say, Brighton, again, I mean, they sort of swap places with Leicester, I suppose, this season in some ways. But, like, it, it has to be for a team that you wouldn't expect to have good players in that sense, I suppose. I don't know. I think there's a reason for that because, Charlie, I think it kind of it, it feeds your own ego as a football watcher. It, it, you feel like a scout. 
I've spotted this player that no one else has or relatively few people have. And I think I think I think that's part of it. It flatters yourself. Yeah, it does make it look like you're paying attention. Yeah. But 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 I think it is. Dave's right. They that they're not the protagonist team. That basically every time you've watched that team, it's been X club v Brighton or X club v Brentford, because most casual fans probably aren't watching Brentford against a team that they're better than mm. we're ma- it's massively skewed to watching Brentford against the big boys in inverted commas interesting we'll leave it there we'll just move on to um, Childish Gabibo who writes and says despite never playing in the Bundesliga proper 85 games in Bundesliga 2 Rurik Gislarsson somehow got to appear on Germany's Strictly Come Dancing. What should the low bar of footballing fame be to qualify for prestige reality TV? Your Strictly's et al. Don't really have an instinctive mm. level here, Dave. I mean, I mean, the lower down you go, the more you have to have done something singularly notable to put yourself in the public eye. Now, I don't know anything about this Gislarsson chap. He must have done something beyond just playing in the second division of German football. Maybe that is enough. All sorts of shit munchers get on TV, right? Yeah, although Strictly and I'm a celebrity and that sort of thing, that is, you do have to be pretty decent. I, I was trying to think, right, who's 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 a player that is notable but has only played sort of around 85 times in the championship and no higher in yeah. England? And Lee Trundle played 77 games in the championship. So he's not getting on Strictly. He, I exactly. I, I don't think he is. I don't think he'd get on Strictly at all. Yeah. He, he might have had a moment where... I think he could have got an I'm a Celeb at a certain now. point. No, Ten but there would have ago. been a point when he was... Celebrity Big Brother? Yeah, he yeah. would have been on yeah, Big Brother. Yeah, he could have done. Definitely would have been on Celebrity Big Brother. In fact, has he been on Big Brother? So let's um, get the hierarchy sorted. Let's do this first. The hierarchy, therefore, is Celebrity Big Brother first because it's full of people. You have to go, who the fuck is this guy? And then the second one would be... I'm a celebrity? And then I I think Strictly is the highest. Strictly is the highest. Oh, yeah, definitely of those three, Strictly is the highest. Where where Dancing on Ice fits in. Surprisingly, because I think there's more money in I'm a Celeb. I think I'm a Celeb is probably higher than Strictly. No, No, I I think think so. But but I'm a Celeb was almost traded on the fact that a lot of the time they were pretty D-less celebs, whereas Strictly, I think, would, would at least think it had a bit more... Gravitas, maybe. I think if you if you looked at the lineup side by side, I think I think strictly in and I'm a celeb, there wouldn't be a massive amount of difference. You've got like there's usually there's archetypes of like there's usually a politician, mm. you know, an ex politician maybe. There's like a soap star. There's somebody from the world of sport. There's somebody yeah. you know. There's a young influencer type or ex Love Island type or something. Mm. Like there are lots of boxes to tick. I don't know whether someone like Lee Trundle. Or anyone else who's played 80 games in the championship. I mean, <laughs> is there anyone more notable? I, Lee Trundle's probably the most famous person to have played 80 yeah, odd absolutely. games in the championship, yeah, I suppose. It's, it's complicated by the fact that he's kind of just sort of generally famous for just more than From that. From Soccer like, AM, basically. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, and thing is, Charlie, like the overwhelming vibe about some of these sort of contestants on these shows is that they're famous for the stuff they used to do. Whereas this Rurik Gislarsson on German Strictly is still a footballer. So I put it to you, could a current championship footballer Whoa. without any of Lee Trundle's baggage in a positive sense be able to go on Celebrity Big Brother, the what lowest about, of our pyramid? What about Paul Mullin? He'd get on at the moment, wouldn't he? Mullin would. Great shout. Mullin definitely would, very reluctantly. But again, it's, it's that extra thing. You need that extra layer of fame, mm. don't you? that isn't necessarily your own doing. Yeah, I don't think just a a pure footballer. Yeah, not even winning the golden boot in the National League, which he didn't even do, would be enough. So, yeah, no, it's a very tricky question. I just think the strength in depth in German reality TV is much weaker, (laughs) just like their league system, just like their football pyramid. It's the same principle. They're much trumpeted. Yeah, dear, oh dear. Okay, so we've got a revamped Premier League years playlist bingo to come. But first, it's Keys and Grey Corner. Ford Super Sunday. First up, magic stuff. This came uh, from listener Rob and it's from 90 Minutes magazine, 1994. Right on the eve of the 94-95 season. And a big, big feature headlined, Charlie, Richard's Gear. (laughs) And the the crux of the story is is that Keezy, after two seasons of Sky's coverage of the Premier League, has ditched his brightly coloured blazers and is going for a more classy Italian styling. And this is big. One big interview with him in a uh, in Green's Menswear in Sunningdale, Berkshire. The subhead reads: Dave, prepare to be shocked. 
Sky Sports' Richard Keyes has a new image. Gone is the holiday rep from hell look, and in its place comes a more classic, sober style altogether. 90 Minutes can hardly believe its eyes. Um, uh-huh. One of the kickers for the photo captions is, Through the Keys Hole. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. <laughs> so, yeah, big, big old interview with Richard Keyes as he gets himself kitted out in his new, more sober, classy gear for the new season. Let's pick out some moments. Um, this is the intro, Charlie. There can be few more startling sights than Richard Keyes bedecked in one of his famous jackets. <laughs> but the Sky Sports presenter, dispensing with the privacy of an exclusive gent's outfitter's changing room, dropping his trousers and tearing off his shirt in full view of a clutch of shock shoppers, has to be one of them. <laughs> Unstoppable, even then. This is incredible. How dare he? Quite the scene we've painted for everyone now. It continues. It's good gear. Proper gear, he smiles, <laughs> slipping on his size 9 Armani shoes. It's the best. It's an Italian designer, Canali. It's much more classic look. So Versace had Elizabeth Hurley and Yves Saint Laurent, had you, Richard? For their sins, yes. Hey! <laughs> hey! <laughs> Actually, one for us, but world's colliding there. Um, oh, incredible. Should we be shocked that this exists, Dave? Like a, 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 you know... 70% serious feature with Richard Keyes about what he's wearing on telly. No, I think there is, there's a slight chance that this could possibly have been a headline first, idea second, <laughs> with the Richard's gear <laughs> situation. But did he wear the big, lurid, brightly coloured blazers in the first two seasons of the Premier League? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely, that yellow one. Yeah, a little story about that. He says in this article, At Manchester City, a steward came in and said, What colour jacket tonight? When I asked why, he said, because we're running a sweepstake tonight on what colour you're wearing. This was this was the cultural impact it had, which is incredible. So, yeah, big main image, Charlie of Keezy sat nicely in his menswear section. Lots of text from the article. There's a picture of him putting his old ones in a bin just to ram home <laughs> the point that he's changing his image. And then they had a little bit of space to fill. And so uh, here is the win Richard Keyes' jacket competition. <laughs> you have to, he had to send in, th- in 30 words or less your reasons why you deserve his £300 Yves Saint Laurent jacket, a yellow one. And you had to send it into Richard Keyes' jacket, 90 Minutes magazine. <laughs> Somebody must have won it. Someone somewhere has this jacket that they won in a magazine. Who? Who are you? Assuming people did enter that competition. Yeah, hope so. Charlie, Manchester City's title win uh, in Mm. the wider context. How would you, in a nutshell, describe that title win? Is it under a cloud? How would you? How would you describe it? You know. Yeah, I I did use under a cloud actually. Did you? Yeah, that would be I your think, choice. Well, is there a potential asterisk? Asterisk. That's good. I think that's quite. Asterisk is good, Dave, because I think it's got an, there's an element of intrigue about it. I quite like the asterisk aspect to this. So, will there always be an asterisk? Mm, it's good because well, you do have asterisks in record books, and it makes you think, "Ooh, what's gone wrong there?" Or a little sort of cross symbol, which makes it a little bit more tragic. It kind of, I mean, really took rise and took hold in the in the first lockdown, didn't it? When there was all that mm. talk of Liverpool having to have an asterisk next to their uh, eventual and inevitable title win that season. Okay. Um, but it's, it's much more of a, um, a common thing in amateur football. There's yeah. an, there was an, ast- an asterisk in the league table in my Sunday League, League 3, this wow. season. We got deducted points. We found out if somebody got deducted points and another team awarded three points because somebody got rumbled for playing a ringer. I think said Ringer scored like five goals or something. Right, I don't know how it came out because you know this thing, these things happen. But okay, somebody got rumbled and an asterisk was was applied. So there you go, asterisks, versatile. They're quite evocative. They make you make you wonder what's gone on. Keezy's not up for that. Keezy's got a different way of explaining it. If the Premier League are wrong, then we shall find out. If they're right, then that spells trouble. But what they can do is remove the stench for me and it is yeah. a smell mm. <laughs> and it is a smell is it's just <laughs> such a lovely little follow-up there it's great it is a smell and it is Let, let's be very clear about this it is a smell so good just the absolute terms in which he talks about any even weird imagery like that is so bizarre to be that sure of everything you say Oh, it's mad. Final Keezy point. Dave, do we think he'll be at the playoff final? Oh, great question. 27th of May at Wembley. Surely 
He flew back to pay his respects to the Queen, of mm. course. So it doesn't take much to get him back. So he'll be back for the King, Mark Robbins. Secondary question, Charlie. Will he be in any sort of expensive seats or will he be in with the Coventry fans? That's a really good question. Mm. I don't know if he... He's got mates still. He's got connections. Yeah, yeah. I think he could, get, he, he could easily get hold of a ticket. No problem. I, Imagine I think having I... to settle for Box Park instead or something. <laughs> <laughs> Wembley Way. <laughs> the predicament, though, wherever he sits, Charlie, is what if Sky spot him in the stands? Mm. What are they going to do? What's yeah. the caption going to be? <laughs> it's a God. huge, what? huge I, dilemma I, for them. I think that will be uh, the director's card will be marked, I think, before the <laughs> yeah. broadcast, just just in case. Just what's, what's the there's a man who knows a thing or two about? Oh. You, you can't, you can't, can you? you just... What if you get, You've just got to give it a wide berth. He might get the ultimate indignity. They'll spot him in the in the in, in the posh seats, and they'll they'll mention whoever sat next to him, like some I don't know, some administrator from the FA or something, or the EFL, and then they won't mention Kizzy at all. Could they show him and just not mention the Sky stuff? There's former GMTV presenter Richard Keys and blogger blogger and podcaster Richard <laughs> Keys there. Blogger and podcaster, he would despise that. I hope so. So many possibilities, can't wait to find out. Right, I promised you a revamped Premier League years playlist bingo to finish. And here it is, all self-contained. It's all going to start and end and be settled right here, right now. Just a little recap on last week. You may remember Arcade Fire's Wake Up being played. It was indeed 2005-2006 and it was about the growing power shift in the Premier League between a crumbling Manchester United and Jose Mourinho's (laughs) champions Chelsea emerging onto the scene. Um, Great guys sort of um, set piece, Charlie. They had um, a crack pervading through Manchester, reaching Old Trafford, cracking the stadium and then an M falling off onto the ground just (laughs) to ram home what was going on. Seismic stuff. And uh, wow. yeah, so that was yeah. So the kind of sort of like slightly grand opening to that. The the title was fairly irrelevant, and so it just kind of fit the the vibe of mm. of a potential. Well, I said I thought it sounded shift. like renewal, and I guess yeah. in some respect it's like the Chelsea, the sort of flowering of this new Chelsea oh, world domination. You can't just you cannot try and post rationalise that. Yeah, let's don't, <laughs> yeah don't look for significance where there isn't any, but. Let's see how this one pans out. Dave, I need a number between 1 and 1,385, please. I'll go early this time. Um, 377. 377. I will locate this on the carefully curated Premier League Years playlist by Mr. Wenger. Every song ever played on Premier League Years. And song number 377 is this. I hate this. It's been one week since you looked at me. Oh. <laughs> yeah. How can anyone like this song? <laughs> What's he got going for it? It's so 90s and just so unlistenable. As a kid, though, it had sort of lyrics that you thought were quite funny and a bit rebellious. I guess so. If you care about that sort of stuff. It also sounds like it says Dennis Bergkamp at one point. Right. There you go. Bergkamp has got the mad round. Ah, right. There you go. Maybe that was the reason. Anyway. I don't know what he actually says. I've always wondered. Don't worry. Worry about that later. Um, Bergkamp has got the mad hits, it sounds like. What era do we think we're looking at here? That came out. I remember when that came. I mean, that will be, I think, the ninety-eight, ninety-nine season mm-hmm. when that when that song came out. So I would guess, yeah, I, I, I imagine it's that that season. Is that right? Correct. Came out. Um, was released in September nineteen ninety-eight. Mm. I believe for a bit of added, added context, just to help you along as you try and guess what it was deployed for in Premier League years. I can tell you that it was preceded in the programme by the opening titles from the soundtrack to the 1998 blockbuster Godzilla. Um, Going deeper underground? No, no, it was the kind of score, the orchestral score. That one. Possibly, yeah. That was used for, like last week actually, it was used for a montage of the burgeoning title rivalry between Manchester United and Chelsea that season. Here we go. It's the ultimate North against South with a good deal of pride at stake. It is one of those nights when you sense that something special is about to happen. Two genuine title contenders. United, of course, have been this way before, so they know all about occasions like these. And Chelsea are learning fast. And the biggest compliment you can pay them is that Alex Ferguson is taking them seriously. It's been... Doesn't work! 
like, why is it just suddenly coming with it's been? <laughs> right. Very, very rare situation for this, for Premier League years. Charlie, um, this is a rare instance of them playing the entire song from start to finish. Now, it's only two minutes and 50 seconds, this song, but they play the whole thing. And uh, not only does it cover Manchester United 1, Chelsea 1 at Old Trafford, um, December 98, but it goes on to cover Chelsea's next couple of fixtures. And it's it basically, it's about a week. So one week. So it's... There's no real added context to it. There's nothing really happening in the Premier League to lend itself to a song like that other than it simply being a week's worth of football that they play over the top of. But they play the entire song. I'd never even thought that ever happened. That, that is that is very rare they will do. It does sometimes happen when you're doing a sort of rattling through a few different things. Do you know what's, do you know what's extraordinary? Yes. Is that that United-Chelsea game is December 98. That is just before that Villa-Blackburn game I was talking about where the goalkeeper got sent off. It could even lead into that. I know. If it does, that is crazy. It is absolutely insane. I could not believe my ears when you mentioned that earlier. But yes, as this song goes on, that Chelsea go out of the equation and their other title rivals Aston Villa go to Blackburn yes there's no doubt had he missed the ball Gallagher might well have been running behind him it's just that it depends on how Dermot Gallagher has seen the situation he's off Michael Oates sent off there it is tragedy by steps are we going to get the the referee has made a monumental error that is that is, that is just that ridiculous. Is so weird. Incredible. Because Villa, Villa were top on Christmas Day, I believe. Yeah. It's often cited. The Ryzen's made a monumental error tonight yes! um, in sending Michael Oakes off. <laughs> Dermot Gallagher obviously had to, uh, had to take the advice of his linesman. Uh, the linesman suggested that he was outside the penalty box and uh, obviously the TV replay has shown that uh, he wasn't. Maybe the and, editing um, worked out really well after all. Superb stuff. I can't believe that. That, that would... is an extraordinary coincidence. What are the chances? I don't think anyone has ever remembered anything as well as you did just there. Absolutely ridiculous. That, that sh- How many songs are there in the playlist? 1,385. <laughs> that is absolutely I, I honestly Incredible. Cannot, cannot figure out how this may have happened. Um, absolutely ridiculous. Um, one of the most overwrought cliche segments of all, but it really did work out this time. Um, I don't know who won. Who cares? Well done, Dave. <laughs> well done, Charlie. Great adjudication panelling and indeed bingoing. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you. Cheers, Dave. Thank you. We'll be back on Thursday. The Athletic. <laughs>